got about a chapter and a half to go before we get to Second Thessalonians. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 4, we left off on verse number 4. <clears throat> All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a perfect Bible. Father, I pray that you bless your word as we approach it. Father, we confess tonight, Lord, that without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're ignorant. Father, we don't know what we should. So, Father, I pray once again you'd open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, may we be forever the students of thy word. Help us, Lord, not to assume that we ever get to a point where we know it all. Father, help us to learn and teach us, Lord, from your book. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, verse number four. The Bible says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. Give me just a little bit more, Chuck. In sanctification and honor. And verse 5, the Bible says, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And lust of concupiscence, as we said earlier, just means uh, you get to the point where you just let your flesh do whatever the fire it wants. That's all that is. Uh, just turning your flesh loose. Let me tell you what. Um, you say, every, every once in a while you let your hair down some of y'all turned it loose, amen <laughs> a while back, but every once in a while you let your hair down but, uh, and it's good to get out and uh, relax I mean, go on vacation, take a break take a breather but you always got to keep your flesh in check uh, you can't just turn it loose and you just think, well we preach about this way that Jesus Christ left this heavenly home to come here and one day when we're in glory you'll be able to turn it loose You'll be able to do anything without putting anything in check. Because right now, if you're going to be right with the Lord, you have to put your flesh in check. You just can't let it all go. You, you've got you to put the reins on it, amen? You've got to put parameters, what, you, what you're going to do and what you can't do. Why? You can't trust your flesh. And your flesh, uh, it'll, it'll mess with you every time. And lust and concupiscence is just uh, having no restraint whatsoever, uh, you know what this country is? It's, it's just teaching its generation to have no restraint. Uh, you want to see how bad it really is? Go to your educational system. See what the teachers are dealing with. I mean, you stepped out of line as a kid, a good part of you, they take a paddle your backside. You know what they do now? They just let them do whatever they want. <laughs> I just, you know, I told the other day, you can't, you can't even break up kids that are fighting unless you have special training. Kidding me, they're fighting in my school when I was a kid, man, that teacher would get in there and rough them up a little bit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's why they always fought on the other side of, you know, seventh hour down there by the art teacher. and She was, you just let them fight, you know what I mean? They weren't going to go down to the, the chemistry teacher who was a track and field coach, or they wouldn't go down to the gym or the PE coach. Why? He <laughs> you get in there and have some fun with them. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, you can't just let your flesh do whatever it wants. You can't. You know that, right? That's the lust of concupiscence. And, uh, that's not what Paul teaches at all. That's not your liberty. You don't have the liberty to do whatever you want to do. Uh, he says in verse 5, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So he's likening that thing to a bunch of unsafe folk. You see that? And you expect the unsaved people to do that. 
I heard preachers say before, well, they told me to come to church, and they just lied. Well, they're lost people. We'd expect lost people to do. <laughs> really, I mean, someone's lost, and they tell you to come to church, okay, whatever. I mean, Christians tell me they're coming to church. They don't come, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you expect lost people to do. You expect lost people to live like lost people. You expect lost people to cuss all the time, and lost people that probably drink and maybe... A little bit of that and a little bit, a little bit of that, and you know, you know, the high state, right? You expect lost people to smoke dope and drink and run around and you know have a time of it, right? That's what you expect. And he says, even as the Gentiles which know not God, but I'll tell you what, a Christian, listen now, a Christian can get to the point where he looks so much like the world and so much like the unsaved, and that's what Paul is talking about here. That you can get to a point in your Christian life where you're so given over to your flesh, uh, even if you're saved, that you look like the unsaved people in the world. That ought to, that ought to bother you. That ought to be scary to you. That you could get to the point where no one can distinguish you apart. And I'm not talking about you have to be such a, a weird duck in your dress. I'm not talking about that at all. But you could get to such a place where you just are so unrestrained in your flesh that they can't even tell you apart. And... Uh, you just do what you want, and that's what unsaved people do. Unsaved people, they listen to their father, right? John 8, 44, you're of your father the devil, and lust your father you will do. You know, when you were unsaved, the devil told you to do something, and you just did it. You, perfect obedience. You never rebelled against your father then, and, uh, and that's what lost people do, and they're going to hell. Well, and Christians, we as Christians, uh, when you do whatever you want, but yet you're going to heaven. You see that? that? That's what Paul says ought not to be. It really sends a bad message. And Paul, what Paul's saying, he's saying you need to straighten up that foolishness and quit it. Uh, verse number 6. Now here Paul's going to start talking about the brethren. This is really important because up till now he's been talking about your relationship with the Lord and you getting right with the Lord first and you dealing with the Lord first and your separation towards God first and God has to come first. Amen? We preach it, we preach it, we believe it, and hopefully we live it. God, your relationship with the Lord has to come first. And Paul's talking about now that you got things right between you and God, now, because things are right between you and the Lord, now you and the brother can get right. <laughs> All right? You got to remember that. Until you get things right between you and the Lord, you will never get things right between you and other brethren. And some people, they... Uh, they put a lot of effort in trying to make things right with the brethren, but the problem is they're not right with God. Look over to Titus chapter 3 before we go back to that verse. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 9. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. See that? He says you ought to avoid contentions. That's, that's arguing. That's debating with one another all the time. Contentions and strivings about the law. He says, for they are unprofitable and vain. Look at verse 10. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not yet. Uh, wrong 10 there. You see where it talks about contentions there? Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride. So if you're contentious with somebody, you're contention, contention you're arguing with somebody, Someone's full of pride. <laughs> Amen? So if there's contention between you and your wife or you and the preacher or between you and the brethren, it's because there's pride involved. And that's how that thing rolls out. 
Now look at Titus 3.10. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. You say, why do you reject him? Well, look at verse 11. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. That word subverted, that just means his problem is a heart problem. Uh, his problem comes from within. If you think about it, when a tree bears rotten fruit, the fruit is not the problem, is it? The problem's a root. If a tree bears rotten fruit, it's not the fruit's problem, it's the root's problem. And the problem with a heretic is not what you see on the outside, but it's the heart. Uh, look over at Romans chapter 16 real quick. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul's talking about uh, this fellow here. And when it comes to heretics, you've got to separate from them. Now listen, a heretic isn't someone that's got a different dress standard than you do. You understand that, right? That, that's just your preferences and that's just your proclivities and your opinions and, you know, whatever. The flavor of the month. We're not talking about that. You ought to be able to fellowship with a brother or sister in the Lord if the major doctrines of salvation are there. And I think too many times as Bible believers, we look for reasons not to fellowship with somebody. We ought to be looking for reasons to fellowship with them. You know, if the major doctrines of salvation, look, I'm not talking about you just willy-nilly go fellowship with anybody, but, man, you ought to cut some people some slack if they believe in salvation by grace through faith. Uh, Romans 16, 17 says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Paul says when it comes to heretics, you've got to learn to separate from them. That's a tough thing, isn't it? It is. Why? The world tells you to get along with everybody. The world tells you to coexist. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. <laughs> coexist. You think a Muslim is going to coexist with you? He might over here because he has to. Go over to Afghanistan and see how that works out for you. Right? Yeah, you'd coexist next to him, but he'd blow you up. So you've got to remember the bottom line, uh, the whole reason that this heretic is where he is at is just simple old-fashioned rebellion against God. And uh, obviously this heretic is walking in the flesh. He matches up with Galatians chapter 5, 17 to 20. And the works of the flesh will be manifested there. And what that heretic is doing is just using, uh, using the Bible to practice a doctrine that's untrue. And you can't waste your time dealing with people. And back in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, he says a heretic... After the second admonition, you reject. I know people right now, and they fool around, they fool around with the Amish, and they fool around with Mennonites, and they fool, well, listen, they're good people, uh, but them Amish, most of them Amish people are lost, and they fool around with them, they fool around with Jehovah Witnesses time and time again, and they fool around with the Mormons, and they fool around with uh, Roman Catholics, and all that stuff, you say, why? Because they don't read the Bible. If you got someone you love, you give them tw two shots at an admonition, oh, admonition is a, is a gentle warning. You give them an opportunity. And Paul says a heretic after the second admonition, you reject it. Why? Because it's a heart problem. You give them two shots at it. You give them the gospel twice. Well, I believe that you've got to work it. No, and you work that thing through, and you give them the plan of salvation, you leave them alone. You come back, give it to them again. If they still, if they still reject it, you reject that. And you quit messing, messing around with it. Why? That stuff will get on you. I have people right now messing around with Amish people, you know, oh, you know, this, that. Don't be messing with that stuff. Two admonitions, and then he says, reject them. I know you don't hear much preaching on that, but that's still the Bible. 
And in verse 6, uh, you give them a couple of admonitions and you reject them like the Bible says and you go on with life. But he, back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, Paul's, uh, he's starting to deal with uh, how you deal with the brethren. How you deal with the brethren. And you can't have uh, peace with the brethren if you don't have things right with the Lord. And if you don't have things right with the Lord, then you're not going to have peace in your own heart. Uh, verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, that says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. I know some of you thought Thor and Banner, the Hulk was, and, but the Lord, he's, he's the only avenger. Amen. Wow, you guys are tough tonight. I thought I'd get it. Thank you, Brother Cole, for patronizing me. But the Lord is the avenger. Amen. Not Tony Stark. Now look, verse 19 says uh, in uh, Romans chapter 12 also that the Lord is the avenger. You ought to write down this passage, Romans chapter 12, 17 to 21. And that's, where, uh, that's a great cross-reference passage there. And like I said, Romans 12, 19 also says that uh, Lord is supposed to, the Lord is the one who avenges, right? Not you. You don't go seek your vengeance. The Lord takes vengeance on those. And since he is, we're not to recompense any man, uh, recompense any man evil for evil. That's Romans 12, 17. But uh, let's keep going. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, uh, the Bible says, Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we, have also, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now let me ask you, would you like the characters from Marvel or DC to be your avenger, or would you like the Lord to be your avenger? I'd rather have the Lord. But you know what Hollywood's getting everyone geared up for? The Hollywood's getting everyone geared up from these uh, superhuman humanoids from outer space. Because at the end times, guess who shows up? The sons of God show up. They do. Read your Bible. We're out of here, by the way. <laughs> We're out of here, and I'll tell you what, the world is in such a mess by the time those superhumanoids a show up from outer space, they've been teaching everyone all about them. And they've got entire series about everyone's special, everyone has superhuman powers, and this person can teleport, and this one has telekinetic energy, and this one, this one can, you know, has superhuman strength. Okay. You read your Bible on that stuff? Now look, when you, after you're raptured, and you go up the judgment seat of Christ, and then the marriage supper lamb, and if you suffered with Jesus, for Jesus Christ's sake, then you come back, amen, on a white horse with Jesus Christ, that's Joel chapter 2, and you have superhuman strength. Why? You've got a glorified body like Jesus Christ, right? And they run the sword through you, and you go, no, no, you missed me, right? And all that stuff. You walk through walls, amen? You're able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? And all that stuff, so forth. Strong as a locomotive, right? And it's a terrible as an army with banners, Solomon says in Song of Solomon 6. But the superhumanoid mutant aliens that they're looking for, uh, those are the fallen sons of God that come back. And they're getting it all set up for it. And matter of fact, if one of those fruitcakes walked in right now, uh, everyone would hail him as a hero. Let me tell you what, someone, if someone has superhuman strength, you have had to do something demonic to get it. Because the Lord ain't going to give that to you. They had, for a while there, they had these, what was it, power lifters for Christ or something like that. You know, all these bunch of steroid-pumping jerks, you know, in the name of Jesus and all that stuff, you know. And they look like, you know, like if you stuck in a needle and they'd explode or something. 
You ever want, I mean, doesn't that stuff just bother you? Superhuman strength? That's crazy. I read about someone that's had superhuman strength in Mark chapter 5, and he's full of the devil, right? All right, now, notice here in verse 6, there's a warning there, right? Uh, he says, as we also have forewarned you and testified, and Paul testified it not only verbally, but how he did it, and uh, this whole thing about defrauding, some people will tell you that it's right to withhold from a Christian what he's deserved in hopes that they can get it for free. But that ain't the Bible way. We're going to talk about some things for a minute. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't have a problem with them. I mean, I might have had a problem with them 10, 15 years ago, and I'm not telling you got it all under wraps, but listen, verse 6 says you shouldn't go beyond and defraud your brother in any matter. Uh, don't be deceitful with the brethren. Amen? To defraud is to cheat. And it's not right to get it's not right to not give somebody what they deserve. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm having a hard time there. Uh, you say, what are you saying? Well, you better pay people, you better pay Christians what they're worth and uh, what their rates are, whether you know, whether you agree with it or not. Look, I know you want to be frugal, be frugal. I get you live in a capitalistic society, you can choose whoever you want. But if you hire a Christian to do work, you better stink and pay what he's worth. Don't defraud your brother. Does that make sense? If that fellow's rate's 100 bucks an hour, why would you try to get it for 50 you stinking cheapskate? Now listen, when someone gives you good service, do you normally tip them? Do you tip the brethren? Uh, <laughs> you say, I do. Well, this is easy, cheesy stuff, man. <laughs> you got to tip the brethren. You tip the waitress when she does a good job? I hope you do. If you don't, don't leave a church track. Amen. <laughs> but verse 6, you're not supposed to defraud the brethren. You're not supposed to cheat them. I, I, have, you, have, you, have you ever done work for a brother? And he's like, oh, come on. And you tell them what it is, and, and they kind of like balk at you. Not like buck buck, but you know, they just kind of like, they're like really reluctant to pay you. And you're like, look, look, dude, this is my livelihood here. This is, my, this is how I earn my bread, and you're really going to pin that on me? And Paul says, you know what? Don't defraud your brethren in any matter whatsoever. If he's 150 an hour and you know it, if you can't afford him, say it. But that fellow's charity, it ought to be his own. What does that mean? You ought to call your own charity. Amen? We doing all right? I'm having a good time with this. I don't, I don't care what you, if you're a builder, professional builder, and it costs $80,000 to build a house, why should I expect to get it for thirty? Right? Matter of fact, if the Christian builder has got a decent name, right, and you're using common sense, hire the guy and do the best you can to pay him more. Well, you ought to pay people what they're worth. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 8, that after the workers had worked their work, that they were to be called, and the Bible says, given their hire. Give them what they're worth. Luke chapter 10, verse 7, it says that the laborer is worthy of his hire. I don't know about you, but uh, if I'm able, when someone does uh, work, I like to make sure they know that I've appreciated what they've done. Why? Because I ain't a plumber. I ain't an electrician. I mean, I've messed around with a few wires. I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take this electric baseboard heater off, 
and I'll just clip that wire. <laughs> Sparks fly everywhere. It burns us, it literally burns a piece of the tool off. I'm like, oh, that's why you're supposed to have someone professional do it. Because about got lit up. And if that wouldn't have had like rubber things on it, I'd have been smoked Brother Evans, you know. But uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, the workman is worthy of his meat. That was scary when that happened, by the way. The workman is worthy of his meat. I hope you got that reference. And you got to get it through your head, Christian, that the Bible says that the laborer is worthy of his hire. And the same thing goes whether the fellow is a Christian bricklayer or he's a Christian carpenter or a builder. How about a Christian lawn care and landscaping guy, right? And now look, if he does terrible work and you give him a chance and he flubs it, okay, well, that's a different story than hire somebody else, right? But if he does good work, pay him what he's worth. As say, well, I only think he's, I'm not talking about what you, you know, what, what we paid him back in the 60s. I'm talking about pay him. If, he, if he's 70 bucks to cut your lawn, give him 70 and throw him a Gatorade or something. <laughs> and uh, some people say, well, you know, I'm just trying to ensure I'm getting the best price. Look, defrauding is not the Bible way. It's not the Bible way. And look, I understand you want to be frugal with your money and you want to be careful with your money. Um, you know, that's why, man, if you, if you can't afford to tip a waitress, you can't afford to go out to eat. My, my daughters, some of my daughters are waitress, uh, and some of the worst testimonies is Bible-believing Christians, stinking cheapskates. You say, well, you just think that everyone ought, no, I didn't say everyone had to be a high tipper. But what's it, 15%? You give at least 15%? I mean, tithing's only 10%. I mean, <laughs> waitress gets 15. <laughs> you give 15? Well, you know, I just, why are you such a cheapskate? Right? Got not be that way. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter, that was easy stuff, amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But there is this, listen, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll fall into this trick. Uh, this trick of the devil that says, look, uh, he's a brother and I'm a brother and you know what? He just ought to give me a good deal. Well, what if he can't? Right? What if he can't give you a good deal? Pay the guy what he's worth. Amen. Uh, where, where do we get off as Christians thinking that we deserve something cheaper because we're both saved? That's not how that works. Uh, last time I checked, it costs the same amount for you to go to Walmart and buy a gallon of milk as your brother in the Lord does that's doing the work for you. So why would you short him so you could get a better deal? That's defrauding. That's being deceitful. And Paul says, hey, don't defraud your brother in any matter. <laughs> why? You can find out the Lord get after you on that thing. Churches, church, should be, church matters should be the same way. A preacher should never expect someone to do something just because it's for the church or just because... He's the preacher. Okay, so if someone chooses to do something charitable, that needs to be their decision. You should be able to, don't you choose whether or not you put something in that box back there? All right, so if you choose to give the church a deal on whatever it is that you're doing, that's your business. But the church shouldn't be asking. Amen. The preacher shouldn't be asking. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the defrauding here 
is to keep back something that belongs to somebody that they have a right to. Uh, the context is completely different. I understand the complex. I understand the mixed audience, but still we're going to look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 to 6. Uh, I'll just give you a second to read that. I won't read it out loud, but you just read it real quick. Just three verses. There are three, uh, what is it, three, four, five, and six. And that has to do with a marital relationship. The marital relationship. All right, now that passage clearly states that a man or a woman that is married has a right to the other person's physical attributes. Now what it says? In other words, she gets what gets what's coming to her physically in the relationship, and he gets what's coming to him physically. Amen? That's what the Bible says. You don't defraud the other. That has to do with a physical relationship. And that's all you need to see there. But you see, Paul pens that thing because it's owed to the under the individual. When you marry a wife, your body, your physical body belongs to her. When you marry a husband, your body physically belongs to her. I think I just said that thing twice, but you know what I'm saying, this, that, and the other. All right, in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul says, defraud ye not one the other. Don't cheat them, right? We're okay tonight, right? I know what Hollywood tells you. Hollywood's a terrible liar. Don't get your sex ed from Hollywood. Get it from the Bible. We're okay, right? Don't cheat them. Don't hold it back from them because why? They're entitled to it. Okay. Now look what it says. Defraud you not one the other except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So you... If you withhold that thing from each other, the devil's going to get involved and, and then the thing gets messy. So to defraud is to not give somebody something that they have a right to. You've got to be careful of that. And you have to let God judge those individuals. You don't cheat them. And with this whole matter of defrauding, you, you, we have to learn, you have to learn in your Christian life to be honest in all matters. Honest in all matters. And, uh, of course, back in 1 Corinthians 6, one chapter prior, it's all about taking your brother to court, right? Taking your brother to law. And you're not to do that. You've got no business doing that. But we need to be honest in all matters and in all things. And if we're honest in all matters, that will take care of the matter of the issue of not defrauding. Now, there's one thing this lost world will always judge you about. Always judge you. Matter of fact, the lost world will pretty much let you get away with anything. You could go out here and live just a terrible life and they'll let you get away with it. But when it comes to matters about money and matters about work, the lost world is going to be real hard on you. And you have to be real honest about those things. You have to provide for things honest in the sight of all men. And that's why if you're going to do business with a brother or a sister in the Lord, I strongly recommend you put that thing in writing. And if a brother refuses to do business with you in writing, I wouldn't do business with him. Shows an ulterior motive. Oh, no, I believe in a handshake. Yeah, you don't live in Grandpappy's day. We shake hands in here because we love each other, but let me tell you what, when you put about six zeros on a contract, you better sign that thing. Don't be stupid. And any brother or sister don't want to sign something and, and uh, do it right and legally and above board and honest in the sight of all men, I wouldn't do business with them. Amen? All right, you do however you want, but I'm telling you what. You need to be honest about those things. Uh, Paul said, if you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that Paul didn't come to those Thessalonians with deceit. Remember that? 
He said, "Didn't come to them in deceit." And you got to be careful about uh, using what you know about the Bible to maybe paint a picture in order for you to get what you want. And that's deceitful. That's defrauding of people. That's hiding behind the Bible. And Paul is against that. Look at First Thessalonians four seventeen. We'll move on. A uh, four seven rather. Verse seven. The Bible says, "For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." So you got to do what's right. Amen. You got to live a holy life. And you have to remember that you're not called unto uncleanness. And uncleanness has no part at all in the Christian life. And he's talking about defrauding one another. He's defrauding the brethren. And uh, for whatever it's worth, Baptists, I hate to say it, we're, we're kind of weak on that whole idea of holy living. It's like we've swallowed a lot of the world's philosophy or liberal Christianity's idea about uh, our liberty. And because we think we can do whatever we want, we no longer live a holy life. And you ought to live a holy life. Why? We've been called to holiness, not uncleanness. And I understand it's been perverted by the charismatics and it's perverted by uh, different groups called the holiness in the mid-80s. But just because someone else goes off the rails, hey, we've got the word of God. We know how to live a holy life. It's right in front of us. Look at verse 8. He goes on. He says, he therefore that despiseth. All right, stop right there. What is somebody despising? Well, look at verse 7. The holiness of God, right? Verse 6, the defrauding of a brother. Verse 5, letting your flesh do whatever it wants. Verse 4, possessing your vessel the way that you should. Abstaining from fornication, being sanctified and in the will of God in verse 3. Following the commandments in verse 2, walking and pleasing God in verse 1. You see that? So start again. He therefore that despiseth, those things we just mentioned in verse 1 to 7, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, look, if you despise holiness, cleanliness, sanctification, and doing right, then you're turning up your nose at God. You're not turning up your nose at us. You're despising the Lord. Now, what we've been dealing with in this passage is your love toward the brethren, right? And your sanctification toward the brethren, of course, we're separated first toward God and secondly toward the brethren. That's what Paul's discussing here. And we've already covered the, uh, the fact that we're not to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh in 1 Corinthians 8 and then again in Galatians chapter 5. And you don't despise uh, holiness and those things even, uh, even if it doesn't fit your idea of what you want to do. And what Paul's teaching here in these verses that if your heart is right with God, then you will not do anything to harm the brethren. That's what he's showing you. If your heart is right with God first, you will not do anything to harm the brethren. Look at John 13. We were there this morning. John chapter 13. Now this thing about the brethren is difficult because some of us have had some altercations with the brethren that are absolutely more brutal than any altercation you and I have had with the lost world. Someone say amen. And what you found out in the Christian life is that when you got saved, you thought everyone was an angel. And you couldn't even imagine that someone would say something against you or act a certain way against you or accuse you or lie about you or stab you in the back or hang you out to dry. And you find out that you get hurt the most by people that you love. And that's the brethren. And that's why your heart has to be right with God before you even attempt to work things out with the brethren. John 13, 35. The Bible says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know, Paul also says in Galatians 6, 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what you can't do? You can't fake it. 
You can't fake love in the brethren. It's empty without God. And that's what he's talking about here. Look at verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Of course, that's John chapter 15, verse 12 and 17. You'll find in that passage, you've already been taught to love one another. And of course, 1 John chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us, right? So he's already taught us. He's already showed us in his word how to love one another. And Paul has gone from your relationship with God, and he's moved on to your relationship with the brethren. And it's sad to say in this world that we live in is people got that thing twisted around. And uh, what happens is you see different groups in different churches, they'll put the lost world ahead of the brethren. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I've got a burden to see souls saved, but you've got to do it God's way. You've got to put, you put the brethren before you put uh, the lost people. We already covered this in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. So you get things right with the Lord first. Then you get things right between you and the brethren. Amen. And then the world is last. You see that? If you're going to be effective witness for Jesus Christ, first of all, you have to be right with the Lord. Second of all, you have to be right with the brethren. Now look, this thing is the most difficult thing I've ever encountered in my entire existence. You can put the thing out of order. You can go out there and try to be a soul winner and have a great time. But if you're not right with God, you won't be right with the brethren. If you're not right with the brethren, you won't be effective in this lost world. That's how that thing works. If you have, listen, if you, have a, if you have a better testimony out in the world than you do with the brethren, you need to check up on some things. We don't believe in winning the lost at any cost. We believe in pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, just one soul will be worth it all. You think so? Just one soul worth it all, right? Where did that come from? That comes from putting the lost in front of God. That comes from putting the lost in front of the brethren. That thing, getting that thing out of order. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, And indeed, ye do it toward all the what? Brethren. You see that? Which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Now, if he never put this verse in here, I'd be smiling real big tonight. But you know what that verse tells you? you got to keep going on with your love towards the brother. you got to keep getting better at it. you got to keep growing in your love towards the brethren. But their, uh, but their tails. Yeah, I understand that. But you got to keep going. See, see why this stuff is, is, is tough. You're supposed to increase more and more. Paul says you need to get better at it. You can't stay where you're at with your love towards the brethren. You haven't arrived, have you? You've got to keep going. You've got to keep growing. How? In love towards the brethren. Do more. Love them even more than you loved them before. Well, you're asking a lot. I'm not the one asking it. The Lord's telling you through Paul. And unfortunately, most people kick out the first commandment of loving God and put loving the neighbors first. But that's not how God wants it done. Right? Oh, let's go out here and, you know, the feats of community effort that go on in, in, in our county and the surrounding county. Look what we did for our fellow man. Oh, okay. Give him a place to live. Throw him a, a set of keys. Did you minister their soul? Okay, did you minister to your own brethren first? 
Okay, are you right with God for it? You see how that thing goes back and back and back? And churches now have become so humanitarian, they've got the whole thing backwards. God comes first, and then your brother, and then the lost world. And Paul says, look, you need to love them more and more. And here's the litmus test. If God is first, you will love the brethren. See, you can't fake it. And if you're not right with the Lord, you are going to stink and struggle with loving the brethren. That's how you check up on your relationship with the Lord. Am I right with God? Well, how's your relationship with the brethren? Peachy. Okay, well, about that. <laughs> Is making any sense tonight? <laughs> Thanks, Brad. All right, Paul turns uh, from there here. Let's get out of that, uh, that mess there. And I'm telling you, that's a difficult thing. That love in the brethren is a difficult thing. And I'm stopping here, and I'm trying to take my time here because I know what I'm talking about. I've been in this thing going on 30 years, and uh, the people that will hurt you the most and stab you in the back the most is the brethren. And if you're not right with God, you won't love the brethren as you should. And beyond that, Paul says you got to go farther. you got to do more. you got to love. That doesn't mean you compromise with someone's foolishness. That means you love them. Doesn't mean you agree with them, means you love them. That means you can look at them and have a clear conscience and you ain't been wishing they'd be dead. Right? Because that's how some of y'all feel about some of the brethren. I wish they dead. Some of them praying that you do die. <laughs> All right, let's turn from uh, here. Let's turn to some real practical things here. Look at verse 11. No, that's a hard one. I don't have that one down, but the Lord's been working on me on that one about the brethren. Verse 11. All right. Paul says, and that you study to be quiet <laughs> and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So there are two things here, amen. Verse 11, preach for a month of Sundays on this one. First of all, you need to study to be quiet. <laughs> and uh, ladies, you're going to have some trouble with this one. And uh, well, I'll get to the men in a second. Peter tells the women in 1 Peter 3, 4, he says, Let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, right? which is in the sight of God a great price. So Peter tells the woman, you, uh, they're to study to have a meek and quiet spirit. But men, we got the same problem. And uh, our problem, men, is we always want to put in our two cents worth and everything that gets said. You could be talking to some fellow and you have no idea uh, what in the world do you talk about, but you'll have two cents to put in on it. Oh, I'll tell you, man, that's wrong. You know, that's, yeah, go team. Go Al. And even when people, you know, that come to us, we don't know nothing, we'll act like we do do. And Paul says, you know what? You need to study to be quiet. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know anything about that. I hear some preachers, I ask preachers some things, and they're just as honest as the day is long. They're like, I ain't got a clue. I'm not used to hearing that from a man. When you ask a man something, he's going to tell you. Right? He's going to tell you real quickly. I'll tell you what, this is what you should do. Yeah. Now you tell a lady, she'll tell you too. It just take a little longer. Amen? All right. Amen. But Paul says you need to study to be quiet. <laughs> Solomon said in Proverbs 17, 28, he said, even a fool when he holdeth his peace is kind of wise. I mean, there's some wisdom in you. Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> even if you know it, it's just, just button it, you know. Why? You know, people think you're smart. 
have no idea. You just got a clue, but they just think you're smart because you're not talking. <laughs> and that's funny, you know. Uh, fool is known by a multitude of words, and the Lord calls a man to preach. <laughs> that's funny right there. So it's a difficult thing, but Paul says study to be quiet. The second thing in the passage here, Paul says study to do your own business. You see that? Now, that's one of the hardest things in the world for people to learn, minding your own beeswax. And Paul says you, you study to do your own business, and uh, that's for you to keep your nose out of other people's business, amen? And one of the problems you're going you're gonna to find is there's a multitude of Christians. We're talking about the brethren, right? Multitude of the brethren, uh, they're just they're busy bodies and tail bears, and they just got to be up in everyone's business all the time. Man, that thing's that thing's pandemic. That thing that thing's more infectious than COVID ever was. And of course, they're always doing it for the benefit of the brethren, and you just want to help, you know. And we just, well, I just want to let you know so you can pray about it, and, you know. But they got to know what everyone's doing. They got to they got to know everything that's going on. They always sticking their nose where it don't belong. Doing all right tonight. And you just got to watch out for that. And people, they just kind of got to keep tabs on people through the through the week, don't they? Kind of keep tabs on people through the computer and through the telephone. Of course, today uh, it's the smartphone, and don't seem like anyone's too smart for having a smartphone. I take a picture. Oh, that's a nice picture. Now find it three days later. You would think you just hit photos, and I can't find it. I put three pairs of glasses on. I can't find it because probably I, I took the picture within a text and sent it to somebody, and now it's not in my camera roll. That doesn't make sense. I took it through the camera. Shouldn't it be in the camera roll? But it's not in my phone unless you go to it. and make... Anyway, what, who cares? But anyways, everyone's got a smartphone. I want to show you some things real quick. First Peter chapter 4. You say, it sounds like you've got personal problems. If you only knew, man, I'll tell you. I remember when the, the cell phones were really starting to develop, and they were getting really neat and slick. And man, I just, I was like all over it, and I could figure it out, and... Now you, I give the phone to the kids. You find it. I can't even read the thing. First Peter chapter 4. And I got, the, I got the, the font real big. And like, oh my goodness, you know. Three letters to a screen, you know. <laughs> Might be a little bit of exaggeration. First Peter 4, 13. Bible says, but rejoice as inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Look at 14. For if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Here it is, 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matter. You know what an evildoer is? As someone who speaks unjust evil of you. Unjust. Just, just always tearing you up. Now, you're not there, but they're doing it. Right? That person's jerk. That person's an idiot. That person's stupid. Okay. Really? Maybe a little, but all that? Uh, look at First Peter 2, chapter 2. Verse 12, As this evildoer is someone who uses their mouth to tell perverse things. They tell lies about you. Uh, they tell stories about you. They tell half-truths. They tell the side that makes them look good. That's an evildoer. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, 
that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what he says there is an evildoer is someone that's causing problems. And they're a dissembler with their lips. Look at 1 Peter 3.16. 1 Peter 3.16. He says here in verse 16, 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that thing is also mentioned in Isaiah 9.17. We won't turn there. But an evildoer is someone who's used their mouth to speak evil of you and tell lies about you. Now go back to 1 Peter 4. This is important. I want you to see the company that this evildoer is within. 1 Peter 4.15, that's where we jumped off with it. It says, but let none of you suffer as a one murderer, two thief, three evildoer, four busybody in other men's matters. You see that? What a company to keep. Man, he puts you right in the company with a stinking murderer and a thief. And there's your evildoer and a busybody. Now let's move next to the busybody there. And a busybody is in other men's matter. The verse says a busybody, it's a meddling person, always overtly or, I don't know, officiously, inordinately concerning himself with the affairs of other people. Officiously just means they're aggressively forward. Always up in your business. You ever meet someone like that? Uh, a busybody is someone who's intermeddling with the affairs, which he has no concern. Just constantly wanting to know everything that's going on. Well, verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody, and other men's matters. Now you'll notice there in that passage, in that context, if you're suffering for being a thief, or a murderer, or a busybody, or an evildoer, you don't get anything for that. But if you suffer for Jesus Christ, you know, and I say that because, you know, these busybodies, I've run across a few of them in my day, and they think that, you know, they're being persecuted for Jesus, and everyone's against them for Jesus, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has something to do with their stupidity is what it is. They won't mind their own business. You ever met them? I met them. He's always up in everyone's business. And you're going to have to deal with busybodies as a Christian. And uh, God forbid you ever marry a busybody. Amen. But if you are, I strongly suggest you be as kind as you can and work that thing out with fear and trembling. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 26, Proverbs 26, 23. I'll show you this thing here. Proverbs 26, 23. Now, the, the reason we've learned to be busybodies as Christians is because the news network has spent their entire existence uh, getting in everyone else's business. So they've taught you how to be that way. and You've got to fight it. You got to fight it. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 23. The Bible says, Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. 24. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. You get a hold of that? And layeth up deceit with him. Dissembleth, that means he divides by trickery. And of course, uh, they'll say that they're always looking to do the right thing. And, you know, it's always for the right cause. And I never intended to hurt anyone by what I said. And, yeah, I'm just trying to help people, but they're always going behind your back to tear things up. And that's something. And the reason the Bible says they're off running their mouth, getting into everyone else's business because of verse 24, because they hate. They'll accuse you of hate of believing the Bible. But the reason they're going around running their mouth dissembling is because they hate. You see that? You say, well, I know uh, so-and-so, and, -so and uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he would, he would never... 
He would never do that. I'm telling you what, the Bible says the reason he's running his mouth is someone with his lips because he hates. And uh, and Bible says if they're doing that, dividing by trickery, they dissemble because they hate. Look at verse 24 again. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. In other words, he's telling you one thing, he's doing something else. And this busybody is an individual that's very slick, very calculated, really good at knowing exactly what to do and how to do it and when to do it so that it looks spiritual, but it's not spiritual. And you've got to watch out for that. Notice what he said in verse 25. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Seven abominations. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. I'm just showing you when you study your Bible and you see those phrases pop up, this thing should pop up too. That sounds awful akin to Proverbs chapter 6. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. And that thing lines up with Proverbs 6.16, doesn't it? Proverbs 6.16, the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. You stop and think about that proud look. That comes from a proud heart. You can't have a proud look unless you've got a proud heart. Amen? You know, uh, say, what's a proud look? Well, just can't be told nothing or anything if you want your English right. Can't be told anything at all. Uh, Proverbs 6, 17 goes on and says, A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. They don't care about innocent people. They don't care about babes in Christ. They don't care what... Uh, how they do it, whether with the, the pen or with the sword. They don't care who gets hurt. They just want their way. Hands that shed innocent blood. It don't matter if they tear everything up in the process and tear everybody up. Uh, they're going to do what they want to do, and they don't think uh, about anything uh, but themselves. Hands that shed innocent blood. That's what that is. 18, and heart that divides the wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sowed discord among brothers. So the Bible says the Lord hates those things. Hates those things. And that busybody, uh, as we're looking at, that thing's likened unto a scorner. Uh, he's likened unto a dissembler and an individual that's a talebearer. And unfortunately, many times you'll, you'll find that a busybody in, in the church house will be a gal. Now, don't get upset with me. That's just kind of how that thing rolls out. Uh, look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, Bob met my fair share of men who decided to tear the whole thing up and couldn't keep their mouth shut and had to run it and had to try to calculate everything. You say you're being cruel. I'm just being honest with you. A matter of fact, if some of y'all stopped and thought back and some of the problems in, in the church house over the years, it's because there have been a bunch of busybodies running around trying to figure out what was going on in everyone's business. Amen? And the internet has just made that thing just explode. Now, if you look at Romans 16, you're going, to find, uh, you're going to find the busybody's cover. And that, of course, is fair speeches. The busybody's cover is fair speeches. Uh, look at verse 17, Romans 16, 17 again. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, I'm not talking about you all here, but over the last eight years, I've heard a handful of people say, well, if you just preach a little bit easier, what do you want me to do, give you good words and fair speeches? I'd rather be guilty of giving you the truth. Maybe it's a little too salty at some times, and you'll be like, well, he just needs a hug, Right? 
So I always default to this, and this analogy might not all be the most pastoral, but in Numbers chapter 23, Balaam, the prophet, uh, uh, he, uh, he, had a, he had a donkey, didn't he? Right? And he uh, had that donkey and, and uh, rode that donkey, and all of a sudden uh, that donkey wouldn't let him pass, right? And knocked him off and smashed his uh, foot up against a, a stone and that, and all of a sudden that donkey was talking. It wasn't Shrek either. I'm just telling that donkey started talking. Walt Disney ain't got nothing over the Bible, amen? And that donkey started talking. That donkey told Balaam, look, I can't go any farther because this angel is going to cut your head off if I go any farther. Let me ask you this. Was that donkey telling the truth? So every once in a while, you probably ought to listen to the truth no matter what donkey gives it to you, amen? Sure, that's a good lesson. And I'd rather be accused of being a donkey and giving you the truth, maybe at times a little salty, than give you good words and fair speeches and just blow that whole thing up. But that's the uh, busybody's cover, fair speeches. And uh, it says, uh, words and fair speeches that deceive the hearts of the simple. You say, who's the simple? The simple are the people that can't see what needs to be done. You know what needs to be done to a busybody? Just needs to be told to shut up. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Remember watching some of them old movies, and every, every uh, movie like uh, Little House or something like that, or Anna Green Gable, there's always some busybody, just yap, 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 yap. And didn't you feel good when they just got, got it handed to them? You're just like, yes. Just me? I mean, I'm like, yeah. When she gets told to shut her mouth, it was just really rewarding. Amen? Now, the simple are the people that can't see what needs to be done. Now, go back, go back to 2 Thessalonians. We're rounding the corner. We're just about done here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, trying to show you a little bit about the brethren, trying to show you some practical truths out of verse 11 here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, uh, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And you got a whole county full of people. And now listen, listen, don't get upset with me. If you put your time in and you retired, I'm not preaching against you, amen. But you got a bunch of people that refuse to go to work. And you know what they are? They're a bunch of busybodies, and they're busy about everyone else's business. Amen? He says, working not at all, but are busybodies. And I'm telling you what, Paul does not like busybodies. Look at verse 12. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness, quietness, <laughs> they work and eat their own bread. And that's the same thing he's teaching over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. But stay in the passage you're at. Look at verse 14, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be... Well, that's tough stuff, ain't it? Here's a fellow that refused to work and he was being a freeloader. And he was going around from house to house because of the early church, it was really communal. And that the church provided things for everybody. It was always they provided the food. Everyone brought all their money, which you're never going to do. Thank the Lord for that. Just bring what the Lord tells you, amen. But you're not going to bring your savings and your 401K and your pension and, and your paycheck. Oh, here, preacher, just give it out. No, no, but that's the early church. That's how that thing went. And, but yet in the church, there was always a bunch of freeloaders, and they'd go around from house to house. They were busybodies, and they were eating without working for it, and they were getting in everyone's business. And Paul set some, he set some things straight here. He says in 14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, what, what were they supposed to obey? Get to work and eat your own bread with quietness. Note that man have no company with him that he may be ashamed. What's Paul saying in 1 Thessalonians 4.11? Study to be quiet. Study to do your own business. 
And he says, if they're not doing that, then don't have uh, anything to do with them. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, just listen to this verse, verse 13, great cross-reference. says, and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers. I thought that was just a word that kids used. Quit tattling on me, <laughs> right? Tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they are not. I mean, just constantly in everyone else's business and other people's matter, always got to have an opinion about what's going on. And the very center of that issue about being a busybody is just simply a wicked heart. That's all it is. And they're trying their best to justify some action they've done or some action they've taken in the past. And a busybody is someone who thinks of themselves way more highly than they ought to. So when you come back to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, you see, number one, you're to study to be quiet and think about it. If you did that, you wouldn't have to worry about the next one, which is studying to do your own business. That basically says, mind your own beeswax. <laughs> study to be quiet. Study to do your own business. And then number three, work with your own hands. Don't be a freeloader. Amen? And we're in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. We'll stop right there. And that means don't be uh, making something off someone else deceitfully. Amen. Work with your own hands. Get paid for your own work. And you work with your own hands as Paul commanded you. And we'll stop right there. Study to be quiet. Study to do your own business. Work with your own hands.